0: Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or a long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. You're listening to Cinematic Doctrine. Dan texted me this week and said, Hey, do you want to just, like, record for Donda instead? And I was like, that's two and a, that's like a two-hour album, man. I don't know if I'll listen to that in time. But It's I did shorter say, than this movie. <laughs> it's not shorter than this movie. Is it really?
1: Yeah. Oh. By, like, two minutes. Granted, if you count the credits, because the official runtime in this movie is like an hour 50 or something.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. But I figured... I mean, I didn't listen to Donda yet, but, of course, I don't know if you've listened to call me if you get lost
1: yet have you i've heard songs from i've not sat down from and it to the whole album no it's a good
0: it's a good album the more i listen to it the more i like it but i figured if you wanted to talk about donda because now kanye's christian maybe i don't know we're still figuring that one out especially after well the last not especially after that i left two years as, as though to imply that i can decide who's christian and not but like poor guys poor guys, going through it, but did you want to share thoughts on Donda before we get started? So, I've listened to the whole album four or five times now. And Jeez, then uh... you... <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when a Moonshade Pool came out, the re- la- latest Radiohead album, I listened to it like nine times in a day. So, I
1: guess I shouldn't laugh, but... <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like, on subsequent listens, I would just... I would occasionally skip some of the tracks, because they're like a minute and a half and they don't have anything to do with the rest of the album. What's really fascinating about it is it's a perfect musical reflection of the creator who made it which is it is a complete mess where there's two albums essentially there is a great 12 to 13 track christian rap record mixed in with a just bizarre unfocused unfinished something else that's just on the album uh, nothing exemplifies more than the fact the album is 27 tracks, if I remember correctly. But the last like four or five are just alternate versions of other songs in the other album, because I don't think he could decide which versions he wanted to, to release, which is m- given more cl- uh, credence as a possible theory. theory, because he later stated that he... Did not give clearance for the album to be released, <laughs> that his record label just released the album without him wanting to release it. So who knows? You might know, keep getting a, a fifth version of this album. But I was like, very excited for it. I kind of kept up with all the different listening parties that took place, which were all bizarre in their own right, where every listening party he showed off different versions of these songs. Essentially, weird guests would show up, famously De Baby and Marilyn Manson were at one of the listening parties. Yikes! Uh, so the last one <laughs> had a complete recreation of his childhood home in the middle of a stadium. So that I would just take turns listening to the record on the porch. And so, unfortunately, Marilyn Manson to baby are just sitting on his porch. And then, famously, I don't. Do you watch video game Donkey?
0: Yeah, yeah. He's one, my wife. One of my wife and I's favorite YouTubers.
1: So he did. Donkey did a live stream where he quote unquote streamed Donda, and <laughs> it was it was just a complete farce but like one of the joke tracks on dondo is this like meme from 2018 where it's like the guy. Mm-hmm. Do guy remember that song maybe i don't know yeah it's just like maybe i missed it. it's this like sample from a children's movie where guys like i'm the global 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 and then so for like a minute and a half donkey was like oh yeah this is great oh man i can't believe you know and then afterwards <laughs> he's just like man I, I gotta tell you guys Dondo, this is a ge- this is genius. And so, one of the songs, uh, Remote Control, the first two times Kanye played it live, it was a pretty good song. <laughs> then, on the third live plague, where this is supposed to be like a guest verse, it just starts going like with the beat. It just, you just start hearing, I'm the gluba gluba And he just, for, <laughs> for some reason, he included that in the song. And so, you just see Kanye, who's been wearing a complete, like, black face mask that covers his entire head, he just, like, vibed on his porch to the gluba thing and everyone's like what is happening what is this like what in <laughs> dunky just tweets like i told you guys I had the don to drive you guys didn't believe <laughs> me <laughs> and so leading up to the album's release everyone's like which of this? is this just going to be the glububububub thing and so on remote control plays and it's pretty good and then the last like 30 seconds you just faintly hear like like turned down a little bit while the beats playing i'm the glububububub <laughs> it's just like why are you including <laughs> on the actual record what is wrong with this guy and that's the whole album. It's just there's all these great songs punctuated by some really strange creative decisions. None is stranger than the fact that Kanye definitely still Christian. He's, definitely, he's still rapping about Jesus and all this stuff. And there's two problems, though. First is like when Kanye raps about his struggles, his problems and struggles are so beyond anything that we could ever understand that's tough to relate. Right. So he's rapping about whether well, I should have bought some Burberry clothing, which for those who don't know, Burberry is like... One of the most expensive clothing brands in the world. That's why I charge the prices
0: that I charge. <laughs> I know. I love yeah. that. And this like <laughs> it's
1: and it's always in the middle of these really great songs. Like he yeah. even on that song, like he's that song, the one you're referencing, On God, like He's yeah. given glory to God for all these things God's done in his life. And then the then he takes a strange turn. He where, brings it down. Yeah. Where he for twenty whole seconds he raps about why his ticket prices are infamously more expensive and more. Else. And his
0: it's, t-shirts that are just like a white t-shirt. Which are with a hundred dollars. It. It's like a hundred dollars. <laughs>
1: yeah. And yeah. So the album is punctuated with things like that. The other thing is, none of the other guest rappers got the memo. This is a Christian record. So they are all swearing and saying the N-word like like they usually would. But Despite the fact Donda has infamously been delayed, remade, re-recorded, redone, he's got time to add memes and replace people's guest verses. He just censors them. So some of these does guys it literally just like beep or whatever. No, what do? It, it's just the drop thing. this there's just, just like a moment oh, of silence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's yeah. guys like rapping about like the same thing everyone else raps about. And a lot of them, they're trying to put like a religious slant on it. Like a guy would be like, "Yeah, I'm going through trials and tribulations," and like, like, my, like you know, and they'll talk about people getting shot in the streets or whatever. And Connie just censors them. It's the weirdest thing. Like, why couldn't you just make them re-record their verses or not include them or not include them? Yeah, it's so. But like, I get it. A lot of these guest verses are great. Jay Electronica has probably the best verse in the whole album. On what I think is possibly Connie's magnum opus, which is a song called Jesus Lord, which is eight and a half minutes, and it's great it's one of the best songs he's ever made where the chorus which serves like the background for the rest of the song is like you know it's a guy like a worship thing like tell me if you know anyone who needs jesus and so and then kanye cuts like one of his best verses he's done in a long time which is rapping about like not just himself which when it, when, it, when he leaves when he moves away from himself everything gets a lot better where he raps about like just a general character you know someone growing up in the streets of the projects who's like going through all this difficulty who you know this or and then he reps our girl who gets pregnant and her 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 husband leaves her and now she's like a teen mother and in the background you just hear like some like the name g is being repeated and it's like really powerful and Jay electronica is a great verse and then like the last two minutes is like he just includes a whole answering machine message for somebody who's like thanking Connie for helping him out because his dad was incarcerated when he was a kid, and now he has his own kids and he's like my grandkids have never met their grandfather and they've never like been able to even like touch each other and so it's like when the so the 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 repeated motive of like do you know somebody who needs jesus it's he's bringing it back like where like all these different people need jesus in their life and it's moments like that where you go this is what the album could have been but then there's these bizarre songs where he, they i don't even know for sure what they're about and then like because you'll get one song where he's rapping about his marriage with kim falling apart and it's beautiful, because he's he's talking about how he needs God in this moment, and how they've just grown apart, and apparently they're working on the relationship, because the last listening party with the global one ended with A kanye and kim had a fake wedding ceremony in the middle of his listening party which is crazy and then it ends with he's inside his childhood home and he gets lit on fire and his house burns down so then he gets lit on fire <laughs> so kanye is just on fire everyone's like in a fan of three minutes kanye got remarried and got lit on fire like this is insane <laughs> and so moments like that like where he's rapping about his like, relationship with kim and like actually getting deep digging in his faith are great but then it's just like this is whole other album where I have no idea what he's trying to say. I have no idea what it's about. So there's tons of songs. It could be like a minute and a half cut like out of them. Which not just global globba type stuff, but just like it's the whole album has a sense of like no idea was not done. Everything got kept in. Nobody's nobody's verses got cut. Nobody's alternate takes on the record got cut. This got added as bonus tracks. It's just it's an unfocused mess, but it's also kind of brilliant at times, which is just Kanye.
0: It sounds like what Mac DeMarco does, except not distilled into what Mac DeMarco does, where Mac DeMarco will release an album and then to game the Spotify system, which is basically constantly release stuff because it constantly gets you plays because then it constantly gets you money. And I'm not implying that Mac DeMarco is a genius because when you listen to him, I mean, he's a smart guy, but it's not like he did this knowing Ah, I'm going to game Spotify. He just went, people really like listening to my demos. So then he'll re- like, I think his last album, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's Here Comes the Cowboy. There's the album. And then there's here comes the Cowboy Demos 1 and then there's here comes the Cowboy Demos 2 and they're all separate albums but it sounds like this album from Kanye Donda is like uh here's the demos, the B-sides, the leftovers, <laughs> the unfinished songs and then the finished songs all together put out for you to listen to. Praise God. <laughs> like it sounds but I figure if you get to the the financial stability that that Kanye gets to. And also if his contract is correct, like I think there's rumors that literally he c- legally can never stop making music. I mean, what's he got
1: to lose <laughs> by just putting out that, but he's, but he like, he's in, not only is he a notorious perfectionist, he has whole records. That he's made and recorded, just never released. In fact, one of the songs on here, hurricane was recorded for Yandi. And so and never dropped. He yeah. finally got around to releasing it here, which is a great song except for Kanye's verse. It's the worst, but like the weekend is the weekend's part on. It's great. This album has a who's who of like guest features, uh, Jay-Z, Kid Cudi, Playboy Cardi, J Electronica, Baby, <laughs> Young Thud. JPEG Mafia has been doing a lot of stuff. Is he on it? No, that'd be cool. He's though. been Peggy would have been a great addition here. He's been on a lot of people. But I love the idea of like youth pastors, like listening to Lil Dirk and <laughs> Playboy Cardi for the first time because yeah. they're on the new Kanye record. It's um, I don't know. Like part of the album is some of the best stuff he's ever made. Part of it's just weird, which is like, ever since the normal, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, he's released all these projects that are polarizing and you can hear like Jesus is some people think it's the best album they've ever heard. Some people think it's complete garbage. Life of Pablo is literally unfinished. And (laughs) so, and then Jesus is King just blew the world away. I think about Jesus King a lot as an as a thing that exists. And then, what's the one
0: before Jesus is King? The one that was ghost written? Can't remember. Well, he had a um, bunch of um, Bob
1: Polar. It's great. Yeah. Whatever. Well, that was part of his whole thing. Released a bunch of these short, like seven or eight track things. He did that in Kids See Ghosts. Yeah, yeah. I heard Kids See Ghosts was huge. And he also released uh, a new Nas and uh, Pusha T, uh record as well. And I don't like. There's the like, Jesus King is such a genuine. Reflection of young faith, like it's so genuine, and you believe every word he says on it. And there's something really beautiful about how kind of rough around the edges it is. Yeah, it's sweet. It's great. I love it. And um anytime people talk about like, what about people who don't know that, who the Lord is? What about people who've never heard the gospel? And I was like, I was thinking about how the fact like when Kanye dropped that album, the words "Jesus King" or put right in the middle of Times Square. Yeah, I, I was in the Reform Pub, and people who have no idea who Kanye is were just like, "I'm in New York." what is this? And they're posting pictures of like just Jesus yeah. King. And there are yeah, people yeah. who are legitimately wondering if the end times is happening <laughs> or something. They're like, is this it? Is this the like, end- No, Kanye just has a new album. No, there's a new 30, <laughs> there's a new 30 minutes of yay <laughs> on Spotify. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and it just like, man, I went, when the Bible talks about like, you know, those stones will cry out or like, we remember think about how the Bible talks about how like he's, he spoke through a goat. It's like, man, if like, if, if all these pastors in the, in the world where like you get people like, carl lentz and all these people are wishy-washy on the gospel or they go on talk shows and they get asked hard questions about abortion and gay marriage they can't get the right answers god's just like all right i'm using kanye Kanye. (laughs)
0: because man he he like well it's uh to reference a couple episodes ago when you were complaining about how on twitter you followed a bunch of pastors and all they do is complain about mass and stuff and then you have like kanye and like yeah it's a mess his twitter he's a but crazy person now and then, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> every now and then it's like
1: whoa that's some sick theology bro <laughs> nice job <laughs> <laughs> well he was going he was going on he was doing podcasts and stuff and he was just talking about like first off he was like abortion's murder it's genocide on black people and it's like well carl Lentz wouldn't say it so i guess <laughs> I guess kanye's gotta say it of all the yeah. trustworthy people but then he's going he's talking about you know he's talking about getting saved and he's being very blunt about like you get saved you need to follow jesus and it's like, that's all you need to say. And so, I mean, maybe we wouldn't need a Kanye West to fall if everyone else was just man enough to get up and speak the gospel.
0: But praise God for, for picking him. Yeah. <laughs> and I, nice. I hope
1: he's doing okay because he sounds not okay based on his album. Yeah. He, sound, like, he sounds like he's out of his mind. And he's always been out of his mind. it's the it's part of what makes being a Kanye West fan interesting is you literally never know what he's going to do, which is kind of interesting where like when Jesus King dropped, I was on the Kanye West subreddit and half the people in that sub were about ready to like, you know, (laughs) commit suicide because they were just like, what is this? This is horrible. Why is he talking about Jesus so much? Like, and everyone's like, I I really like the record except for all the Jesus stuff he's saying, which is all the record. And then now everyone else is just like morbidly curious, like what's he going to do next? What's Kanye's going to do next? And so it's a weird way to get an audience for the gospel, but, They've all heard it now. But I guess we should get into I Can Only Imagine. Speaking of Christian
0: music. Christian music, yeah. Dan, uh, I think you've probably had a a stronger... You, you were more planted in evangelical culture than I was. So I think you probably grew up with bands like Mercy Me and Amy Grant and artists like that. So like, why don't you go ahead and introduce <laughs> the uh, thing? Because I... There, There's a scene in this where it's sort of played up as the cameo scene. And they're like, it's Amy Grant. It's so-and-so whatever. And I'm like, who is that? (laughs) The fact you
1: said it's so-and-so whatever, it tells me everything you need to know. (laughs) I I think
0: I've heard that name. I actually think I went to a Michael W. Smith concert, but I don't remember. Uh,
1: Man, the the not Michael W. Smith they got for this movie looks nothing like Michael W. Smith. And that really bothered me.
0: I think I got a t-shirt at that concert. It was Burger King logo, but it said Jesus is King. You remember that when they were taking company logos and putting them in? Yeah, I love Kanye. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Hey there, it's your friendly neighborhood call to action. Just checking in on you. Hope you're doing all right. I'm just stopping by to say, you know, if you enjoy the show, you can always subscribe and write a review for Cinematic Doctrine. There's iTunes, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen. You can give us a shout-out with a thumbs-up, five stars, gripping positivity. Or if you hate the show, you can say that, too. Wait, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S., and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted... I thought this was like a hobby thing. You want History me to expand Cinematic Doctrine, you know right, this already. Right, right, yeah, I I forgot, I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as low as $3 a month, you can gain access to exclusive content like The Pre-Show, which features free form and Christian friendly discussions on all kinds of topics, as well as influence the podcast. That's right, each month you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Previous movies our lovely Patreon supporters have chosen are To All the Boys I've Loved Before, Hamilton, Onward, and American Gospel Christ Alone. Huh, you guys have good taste. Anyways, I gotta run, so I'll see you guys
1: later. But yeah, what's uh, I can only imagine about? Well, I can only imagine as I'm sure everyone is aware, is a movie adaptation of the popular Christian song. I'm trying to think like, so I can only imagine actually like and anyone who was around at the time may remember that this song dropped during kind of like the waning years of CCM as being sort of dominant. Uh, force in Christian music in the sense that... What year? Was it in like 97? So 2001 is kind of where the album came out. And by that, I don't mean Christian music. Christian music was actually becoming more popular than ever. But the idea that Christian music uh, as sort of a unified... Homogeneous one thing where like CCM as a set genre in and of itself. And right at, shortly after that, you started seeing more branches where like POD was considered a Christian band. You had artists like Thousand for Crutch and Skillet coming out, where Christian music became a more broader umbrella, so to speak. More genres. Yeah, more genres. Yeah. Uh, Christian hip hop and rap started becoming uh bigger at the time as well. Where whereas before then and so and this is something that my older Christian people will 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 no doubt recognize. There used to be like Wow CDs, which is the Christian version of now. That's what I call music. We Christians had Wow, mm-hmm. and you get one, and it'd like the first track would be a DC Talk song, and the second track would just be a worship song, and the third track would be you know like an Amy Grant song or a Jennifer Knapp song, and it was just like this hodgepodge of genres that otherwise would never be mixed. On a record, but because Christian music was seen as such a more insular community, like one, 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 one of them had a song from Veggie Tales as like <laughs> one of the hit songs, the Cheeseburger oh, song. <laughs> that would totally mess up the tone of the album. <laughs> so yeah, you have Jars of Clay, Third Day, <laughs> and you know Rebecca St. James. Did and Creed
0: ever end up on those albums? No,
1: Creed was <laughs> Creed never did. Pod got one. Set Your Eyes to Zion, I think, ended up on one of the WoW CDs, but their music was seen as a little too mainstream, and, they, and so they never got... Anyway, I've gone too far off the beaten path, but I absolutely 100% uh, grew up in this culture that they're talking about. Uh, growing up as a kid, I was not allowed to listen to non-Christian music, so the only CDs I had in the house and the only radio I ever heard was Christian uh music and so i grew up listening to like drives to clay to this day still one of my favorite bands but i listen to a lot of like mercy me casting crowns third day i am not a huge fan of mercy me or casting crowns i think they're both very boring i do not like their music almost at all i think i've always thought you could just if mercy me toured as casting crowns and casting Crowns tours mercy me i don't think anyone would notice a difference because they sound so much the same like you could throw them and big daddy weave and you know all of these other artists that all have interchangeable names and sounds like you could play plum you could play any of these artists and it just all sounds like the same kind of goop that said i always have a deep amount of respect for them because a lot of them perhaps turned down other record offers and i've heard stories of these from various musicians who they were given chances to quote unquote sell out and they kind of never did because for a lot of these artists they felt Like their calling wasn't just a career, but they did feel like this was their ministry. And funnily enough, a lot of the artists that I really did like ended up kind of going off the deep end in some way. Where Mm, people like Dustin Kendrew or Underoath or MXPX and all these artists that like I was like, no, those are the real artists. A lot of them kind of faltered later in life for whatever reason. Weirdly, P.O.D. didn't (laughs) they've pretty much been who they are the whole time. So
0: Yeah, because I remember even growing up, they were like, I remember liking P.O.D. A little bit. I didn't own any of them. But I remember there was like a, uh, it was like a, you know how like on TV, there used to be like music channels. It wasn't yes. MTV, but it was literally music channels. Yeah. And it was like a Christian one and POD would be on, Flyleaf would be on, stuff like that. Oh, I love Flyleaf. I remember my parents even mentioning, not warning me from listening to them, but mentioning that they had some baggage. <laughs> but ironically, my dad loved Creed, so I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that really
1: interesting. Creed Scott Stapp is a mess. Yeah, No offense to him, but he's a
0: mess. Which, I, hey, if he knows the Lord, good. That's a yeah. great thing, because the Lord works with all kinds of people, and that's a net right. positive. Because Creed also has some good music but i know that that's a controversial thing to say considering i think every critic on the planet's like creed is the worst but then like they're multi-platinum they're they're pretty terrible but but i maintain (laughs) their their album covers rock dude it's like oh man you ever hear photoshop it's like it's that horrible tree the the weathering one yeah Yeah. (laughs) the tree with their faces on it
1: i i mean most of the bands pretty so some of these people might know this but uh matt tremonti and uh, I think Miles Kennedy was also for played with them, but like pretty much the entire band has a second band, not with Scott Stapp called Alter Bridge, which I consider to be far better because I think the issue most people have this Creed is Scott Stapp's voice and his very melodramatic lyricism. Yeah, that said, their album in two thousand nine isn't bad. Like that's not overcome. You mean that that comeback one or whatever? Yeah, yeah. that's a pretty good, just like general like post grunge rock song. It's fine. Uh, Flyleaf is what it is incredible i love lacy lacy stern i i I think lacy yeah lacy stern is a singer she left the band and now just mostly just ministry and stuff so i have a deep respect for them but i know multiple people that saw flyleaf live because they would tour with like corn and breaking benjamin and they would like they would end their sets with how he loves and they would give a whole gospel presentation and my friends saw them get booed multiple times because <laughs> the audience to see Corn was not there to hear about Jesus. Yeah, well, they just had to wait till the lead singer right. of Corn
0: got to know Jesus. I'm yeah. telling. So
1: you know, Lacy went on to she's like, yeah, we start praying for those guys. And if you look at the timeline, five start praying for Corn not too long before Brian Welch uh, got saved. So hey, there's something to that. But anywho. I could talk about Christian music all day because this is—I—I I, I did not listen to non-Christian music till I got to high school. It, but so I very much remember specifically this song coming out. Uh, for those who do not, were not there when I can only imagine hit. It was a massive hit immediately. It was everywhere. It was on two different albums. I Mercy Me. There were multiple compilation records that came out. Uh, which I don't know if you remember this at all, but the, you used to see tons of tv commercials for cds this is not a thing that exists now but a lot of people have memories of like seeing like the same ad for the matchbox 20 box set <laughs> i'll play on nickelodeon disney channel for some reason
0: i remember the the, the now and the kids bop ones on nickelodeon stuff like kids that.
1: bop and then you'd yeah. be like here's the top ballads of the 80s or here is like the rock songs of the whatever and i can only imagine was on like roughly 40 of these different compilation cds where like there was the one that was just literally just called i can only imagine and then dot 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 underneath it was like 16 great christian songs you know like where they would sell whole song uh whole albums just on the strength of this one song and specifically yeah. this song quickly joined butterfly kisses by bob Carlisle as ba- butterfly kisses is the official song of dad's giving away their daughters at weddings. And I can only imagine very quickly became the song for funerals where this song is played at 15 to 20 funerals. I've been to, it gets played at non-Christian funerals. It gets played all over my, uh, one of my in-laws, her sister was a lesbian. And so like when she passed away in the hospital with, you know, her longtime partner there, they played, I can only imagine on her like cell phone, um, there and like all these you know it's because the whole like community was there for it and she was like yeah all these gay women were there and they're all crying because there's something about this song where especially do the subject matter and often the context of people hear it where those the most staunchest of atheist people who do not believe in any sort of afterlife in a moment of vulnerability because they're hitting with the weight of death hearing this song something about it just really affects and, and hits people deeply and specifically mm-hmm. for my family my strongest memory of this song is we were flying into texas to see my grandmother who is not doing well in the hospital we were told that she had maybe you know one or two weeks left to live so we flew out the next day and then the day we arrived we were going to see the see her at the hospital um, we got the news that she passed away and so i woke up at like four in the morning to my dad listening on a portable cd player listening to this song and he was just crying in the hotel room so this is a song that every good christian youth group kid remembers but it's also one that Unlike a lot of Christian, I'll call it kitsch. There's a lot of Christian culture. We just talked about that corny T-shirt that you bought. Um, I've seen <laughs> yeah, yeah thousands of those shirts because I used to go to tons of Christian concerts and conferences and music festivals. I remember I bought a poster that was like Christian. Like, it was like a Facebook thing where like it had like Jesus. If Jesus had like a Facebook account, Like Christian book. Yeah, I've seen those. Yeah. And it was yeah I and I had a, you know I had a bunch of those.
0: Did you ever get the poster where it's like. Uh, the guy's taking heroin, but Jesus's arm is there
1: instead. That's tattooed on my chest, man. That's just dude, a powerful message. That, those, that <laughs> art's awesome. <laughs> right. There's tons of that stuff that's corny and maybe yeah. it's well-meaning, but it just comes off. It's like the Christian version of like a Velvet Elvis painting, you know? But <laughs> I can only imagine sort of stands in this weird place where if, if most other Christian music is like Ice Ice Baby or Rico Suave or any of these other like one-hit wonders that we look at as kind of being of their time. Uh, I can only imagine is definitely – I'm trying to think of a good parallel, which is something I was – it's like Country Roads, where, yeah, it's overplayed and everyone kind of laughs at it. But when it hits, you're just like, oh, man, this is the best, you know? Yeah. And I can imagine definitely sort of hits that place. So that all that said, I was very skeptical about the idea of making a movie about the song that seems – There is a Touched by an Angel episode that's like this, but for the song um, Testify to Love by Avalon. What's Touched by an Angel? Is this a show? You've never heard of Touched by an Angel?
0: The more I, so I was never super into like the evangelical culture. And then the more I learn about evangelical culture, the more I'm okay with that. So I don't, (laughs) I don't know anything about this stuff. I just don't. My first three albums were Nirvana in Utero, Queens of the Stone Age, um, three, the, uh, the one that has threes and sevens on it, and then I think like Muse, Absolution. Those are my first three albums. Those are good records. Yes. So I don't, I don't know any of this stuff. <laughs> That's why you're introducing this episode, Daniel, because I don't know. I just don't.
1: That's <laughs> a blow up our spot. There's a, there's a great podcast called Good Christian Fun, which is just they bring in different guests to talk about various things from like their childhood like like was a recent episode talking about newsboys which newsboys i don't know if, you, if anyone listening to this has recently gone back and listened to like breakfast and stuff their music holds up shockingly well because it was so it was weird at the time but still weird but now it just stands out more because of how just odd their music was But yeah, so I yeah um, we could do a whole show I think on just me introducing Christian things to to you. But (laughs) did you ever hear about the Bible? (laughs) (laughs) There's a New Testament. Um, There's Testify Angel was everyone's grandmother's favorite show because it was a very nice, inoffensive television show. It was about three angels on Earth doing the Lord's work. Where they would get into all kinds of—I don't want to say hijinks because that implies more like slapstick and and fun than it did. Basically, they would get sent to people who are going through difficulties, and they would very subtly guide them and give them assistance to help them find the right path. The show has a shockingly high list of guest stars and stuff. Uh, one particular one that does not age well is Bill Cosby, he appeared in several episodes as an angel. Oof! So big oof. It's sad because like one of his episodes is actually really good because his son had recently died, and so he did an episode where he was talking to a guy about reconnecting with his son before one of them was going to die but yeah so touched by the angel it aired on pax which the thing for pax was that it was like a mainstream television channel but it very clearly catered to christian audiences and this is especially big during the time where like mtv and comedy central and south park and marilyn manson ruining everything apparently so it was so it seems like a counterbalanced all that big bad naughty tv out there so touched by an angel was a program that a lot of christians really liked and it had a lot of very overt evangelic like judeo christian thing where every episode would end with one of the main characters literally telling someone that god loves them and you know jesus cares about them and all that stuff so like as cheesy and corny as the show is i don't really have any sort of venom or dislike for the show because for like seven or eight seasons they just talked about jesus and i can't really hate that but there's a particular episode where they took a Christian song, which is a real song that exists that I had heard in church and stuff called Testify to Love, and they made up a fake backstory for the person who wrote it, where they like explained that these angels helped inspire this woman to write this song, who is not the actual writer of the song. And then they made a sequel episode where they helped her regain her love for singing the song again. It's very weird because... That's not what happened. And it's not like a secret right. or something like, yeah, it's strange. So I was worried this would be kind of like that, where they come up with some weird fake backstory for why he wrote, I can only imagine. And they actually only make slight changes of story. I did a slight amount of research around this because I am mm-hmm. somewhat familiar with the artist and mercy me and all that stuff. And I was, in- and I kind of know some of the backstory for why he wrote the song. And they actually didn't do a lot to dress up the story which is both a strength and in some ways a weakness. But so this for just to start off, like this is actually a fairly accurate representation of both the lead singer's life and why he wrote, I can only imagine. And so, yeah, it's, I don't know how you want me to segue away from it, but yeah, so I can only imagine is a towering hit of Christian music and a beloved staple of Christian culture. They talk about how it's the number one Christian song and by some metrics, it is. It is the most played a Christian song on radio. It's the most requested song on radio. Part of how the song got popular in the first place is people would write into radio stations to get them to play it, which actually briefly include in the movie, which I thought was a nice touch. And because of its staple as just constantly used at funerals and stuff, it just will forever be played. It They can never sell to the CD for the rest of their lives, but they will forever make money on royalties due to its usage in... Yeah, funerals and church services and things like that.
0: It's like, it sounds like one of those cases where, like, um, I forget who sang 500 miles, but like they, the guys who sang that song. The proclaimers? Yeah, they're basically like, we will never release an album or do anything that, that is of more, that is of more value of the song. And I think like there's even a quote that's like, the song kind of goes beyond us. (laughs) just like there's nothing we 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 can't there's nothing that we could do to ever like top it or something like that because i i know that that one um that's what this sounds like where it's like i can only imagine as a song is sort of transformed into its own thing and there's nothing mercy me could ever do to basically make a new like top hit or anything like that
1: hot hot take the proclaimer's cover of whole wide world is better than 500 miles you heard it here first, folks. I don't know if I've heard it, so I guess I'll yeah. have to tune in. That's that's the type of cutting commentary and hot takes that people tune in for. Tune are, in for are really yeah. intense proclaimers' uh, opinions. But yeah, <laughs> the thing is, like Mercy Me have uh, they still make music? They still do right. stuff. I've seen them live. They they'll never stop cranking out records. And in part of it's because of the lead singer, who things like what Bart 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 Miller Miller, that's his last name. He genuinely loves the Lord, and he genuinely loves making music, and he genuinely loves praising the Lord. And so, as much as I think their music is just boring and <laughs> uninteresting, him as a person, I have no problems with. He's still making music. He makes it because mm-hmm. he loves worshiping the Lord. And so, yeah, I'm just gonna get up at the top at the top of the episode. I don't like Mercy Me's music. It's boring. It's uninteresting. It's bland. It sounds like elevator music. But them, as people, I will probably never unless right when we release this album, I mean, album right when we release this episode, some horrible controversy comes out until that happens. I will never say a bad word about them so. in this moment, at this time <laughs> as of this recording, yeah Bart Miller this is just Daniels a, just post a picture of himself in like a furry suit <laughs> on the internet like, like this is who I am now, yikes, <laughs> I can only imagine <laughs> I could <can. laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So, I mean, do you want to talk about the movie?
0: <laughs> or- <laughs> I um, Yeah, I mean, I, as the movie, like, yeah, I have no connection to the song. I don't really have any connection to this. It's it's not something where like Bohemian Rhapsody is somewhat saved as a movie by the fact that I like Queen music or that I, oh, it's that song I like. I like that song. Do, do, I do, like doo do do. Um, do, 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 so- do 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 yeah, exactly. This was a movie where basically like, amy grant coming on screen doesn't mean anything to me
1: uh, she looks a lot like amy grant at the time i'll give that to whoever plays amy grant in this movie is that who the actor
0: was that's or, not even, so it
1: was someone it's not really amy grant but yeah it was someone playing a younger version of amy
0: grant see that's i wouldn't know that i had no idea i'm thinking here like man this probably hits someone
1: who really likes that person <laughs> it's like it's not actually them <laughs> this is not god's not dead where they just have a parade of Christian figures that just show up to be like, "Hello, yeah. it's me, Duck Dynasty," you know, right? And everyone's like,
0: "Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah," because they're the people like to idol worship people instead of, I guess, I don't know, but um, yeah. So it's like, I it, th- none of that stuff worked on me, which is fine. It's not a movie's more than just its references, but references do improve or in make a scene a bit more enjoyable. But anyways, this this movie kind of gave me the same syndrome that A Beautiful Mind gives me.
1: Um, where the scenes, <laughs> the first time in the mil- in, in his human history, someone compared. I can only imagine a beautiful mind, or just that anyone mentions it because that's sort of like a
0: staple of the. I forgot I watched that canon, but um, a beautiful mind kind of as as a movie feels like a series of scenes that were just stitched together as opposed to a coherent single movie. So it always like this movie and that movie always feel like I'm being reintroduced to the characters in every single scene. And then it's like, it's like a series of YouTube clips. And so like, I don't know, this movie had that syndrome where like every scene that's happened or happening, I never felt like it was connected together. I also thought that this movie was a bit overly edited. I think some of its scenes would have been improved by letting us breathe or even letting us feel bad. Cause like the, 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 I don't, I don't know if you even mentioned it in introducing the, the movie, but the whole point is that the song is influenced by the fact that Bart Millard's dad was abusive and then at some point came to know the Lord. Right. And the movie, like when it wants to show that his dad was a monster in, at a point in his life, um, had acted monstrous. Um, the movie doesn't let you kind of linger on that misery long. And so as if to say like we have to be careful with the audience and it's not even like because we might trigger the audience. It's more like because Christians aren't allowed to feel bad. And I I just wish it kind of did more of that. So I guess that's like what three things this um, never really felt like a a linear movie overly edited at times with a lot of music and like a lot of color correction. Yes. So much color
1: correction. The whole movie has the same vibe because so the urban brothers who who are the primary creatives behind the film they they if you look through their director filmography it is exclusively i mean it's all all christian films some people may know them as the directors behind a little movie called bat like mom's night out i don't know if you remember this movie no
0: no wait is that that pure flicks movie
1: i think it might be pure Flix. It. yeah it's um it was their attempt at making a christian version of like a crazy ridiculous one 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 mad night kind of comedy it was hangover yeah. it was like their version of hangover specifically it seemed like almost like a mockbuster of bad moms but that movie was terrible <laughs> it's so uh, but it also has trace adkins in it who plays the uh he's a country singer but primarily but he also plays like the record guy in this movie who like supports and believes in the band and comes with them on tour so, I don't know if they just are friends with Trace Adkins, but their bread and butter is Christian movies, but that specifically focus on inspiring true stories. Because they did a football movie with Sean Astin before this. Mm-hmm. But, like, all of their movies ha- are like this, like, they're almost like big budget Hallmark movies where they all have this, like, the same color filter over them where it always is supposed to have this, like, cloying inspirational feel to it. Do they also feel like they're
0: imitating movies? Because this movie doesn't feel like a movie. It feels like it's imitating movies. It feels like, it feels like, you know how like an actor is supposed to perform as somebody. It feels like the whole movie is acting like a movie. Now, I'm not, I, everything I've said makes it sound like I didn't like the movie. I liked it, but I also didn't like it. It was like, it's like a five <laughs> to six out of 10 kind of movie for me. Like, I just wasn't, it wasn't making me feel great. Cause like, even in the beginning, the first 10 minutes are just kid actors. And it's not, it's, it's a struggle. <laughs> it was a struggle to it's, sit through it.
1: <laughs> it definitely starts off not strong. And
0: it has like two introductions. It's like, yeah. there's the kid scenes and then there's the, teenager scenes and i what what got me a genuine laugh is um there's the kid scenes and then it jumps forward he's saying and then i did the only thing i knew my dad liked and it shows him as a footballer and the first line is with that beard you look like you're 35 yeah because totally it. It, yeah. it was like the, the actor's clearly 35 and not a high schooler <laughs> and i was like hey that's good <laughs> but then it kind of you know Then it goes back to imitating a movie.
1: Yes, which is interesting because I was going to save this for later, but you and I have both been recommended this movie more than once.
0: Yeah, I've had a lot of people say, hey, it's really good. It's
1: a good Christian movie. Yes, it's a good Christian movie. Like, let's let that hang in the air for a second. You know, I'm going to get that tattooed on my forehead at some point because (laughs) I have so so many a movie has been a a tramp
0: stamp that says, have you watched The Chosen? (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) it's just yeah i these i need to get like a filter like you can filter things on twitter i need to get that filtered out for like my phone for texting because i just and to be fair i can only imagine is definitely one of the better christian films i've seen i'm just gonna get that out there because i know that's what people want it is parsable but it's like it is because it just does all the things movies should where it has characters it has they went ahead and got real actors chloris the great chloris leachman shows up for like Five minutes of screen time.
0: Mercy me. Yeah,
1: Cloris Leachman shows up for like five minutes of screen time as his Mima and she's great Cloris Leachman is one of the most underappreciated character actors of all time. Everyone knows and loves her. She's in tons of stuff, but she's in this. Dennis Quaid is just the one of the best movie dads to ever movie dad. Yeah, he's
0: like he's a good performer. He's she's actually really. So good I really enjoyed this. his presence in this. He does a. He he has an aura about him that when he's on set, you know that like. You could probably if you were directing him you could give him one line he'll be like I got it. Like he <laughs> he seems very much in control of what he's doing.
1: I when I was when I was in high school and middle school and high school I started writing I, you know I wanted to I wanted to be a filmmaker when I was younger obviously is everyone who has a movie podcast did. And I started writing a screenplay about my dad if my dad had become a professional wrestler and I was like, Dennis Quaid is going to play my dad. I want Dennis Quaid to play Heck my yeah. dad because yeah. he should play every dad because he is every dad. And in this one, he mm-hmm. he brings a menace and genuine danger to the character that I don't think anyone else could. Like, he's the only person in the movie that I 100% believe is the person he is. Yes. And every every standout scene in the movie has him in it because he plays the sheer like the drunken angry dad thing perfectly and then when he plays a dad who's trying to make amends later in the movie he does that perfectly yeah it's he's good. he's so good in this the strongest scene in the movie is that scene the
0: when when um, bart gets back home and then his dad is reformed, but it's like, I don't, I don't understand. I'm reading a lot of books that I don't understand. It's like that's a it's great like Leviticus doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like- yeah, what the heck? Le- like, yeah, I know, buddy. <laughs> it's crazy. I, oh man, yeah.
1: the, the, for me, the best scene in the movie is the scene where like he's trying to get his dad to come see him sing at church, and his dad like just breaks a plate over his head. Yeah, that scene good. felt so real and so like it i was like this has to be like something that really happened and it did that is verbatim of thing that happened to the uh the real bart millard he was on set the day they filmed that and he said he started to cry watching it because it was exactly as he remembers it Oof, yeah that would be very rough yeah so that stuff is all that stuff is very very strong but it's interesting, like because i had a similar issue with the structure because it's it's structured like people who've seen a movie. Like they understand that there's a certain beats and there's a certain rhythm to the sort of a story where you know you you get the humble beginnings, but his dad isn't good. Then he starts chasing his dream, and you know his dad doesn't believe in him. Then it turns out he's really good at the singing thing, and so he goes home to make amends with his father. And his father comes. You know, in this case, the Christian spin is his father comes to the Lord, gets saved, and his father's death. And literally, something his grandma said, which is, "I wonder what it's like up there," inspires him to write a song about his father. And then he, ha- and then his, what is it? His notebook has the
0: um, insanity wall, except in a notebook where he just has written, "I can only imagine a bajillion <laughs> so times." That's also
1: a real thing that happened. To is Blade that real? Singer. So, uh, one of the things that they. There's a cup. This movie's very accurate up until the actual I can only imagine part, which we can get into later. And the fact that he doesn't have any brothers. <laughs> <But> yeah, he <laughs> also has a brother, but uh, yeah, he he said like because he did not write I can only imagine right after his father died. He it took him years because his dad dies in 1991. They don't release the song until like ten years later. Well, actually, eight, eight or nine years later, and then it was re released on their debut album uh, in 2001, which is when it mm-hmm. got really big. But. Yeah, he spent he said he spent years just writing that phrase over and over again. It's almost like a form of OCD because he just mm. couldn't get it out of his head. So, if you want to have another comparison to a beautiful mind, there you go. Or <laughs> uh, similar go. the the similar yeah. type of writing. So, yeah, and then he writes a song and then the song gets big and the band becomes popular and then a text about how successful the band was after roll of the credits, you know. It's all those beats are present in this film. And if it sounds like there's not much plot, that's cuz there really isn't. And it there almost really felt like yeah. It, it almost felt like they were trying to find drama in the story, which you could
0: have totally had. i I said to my wife, I would have liked if the bulk of the movie was the reconciliation between him and him and his dad. like i even I even pitched a scene to my wife as all podcasters do when they watch a movie. <laughs> um, and I was like, imagine he comes home and they don't do a they don't do a breakfast scene right away. Um he comes home, he meets his dad, he's there. He decides he's going to forgive his dad. You get that scene, but then it's like the next twenty minutes or thirty minutes is scenes of him being with his dad, but then the having to deal with the triggers that happens with like we're reconciling our relationship, but this is a process. So then finally, like you 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 had your pivotal scene in the past where his dad hits him with a plate, um, so you know that that's a serious thing. Then you have this scene later where it's finally, hey, son, let's have breakfast together. And you're in the audience going, "Uh, the last time they had breakfast together was a scary scene. So now you're getting this mounting drama of like, he's going to choose where to sit. He chooses to sit on the other side. So there's no way that his dad can get behind him. They're eating their food, but he's sort of feeling sick, eating his food so he can't eat it. And then you get this scene of like, dad, I've forgiven you, but inside me, I still feel unsafe. I still feel this. And then his dad's like, I'm so sorry that this is what happened. And then you continue to pro- the process. like Because that's kind of what it looks like in real life is a continued process of... Even just smells taking you back that trigger you and make you feel unsafe. That's what panic attacks are is a, a sensation gets triggered, and your body then goes, "I'm in danger, even though you're not in danger at all. And I would have really enjoyed seeing that process because it would, as an audience member, create more drama for me to participate in because you may have you may see the dad is reforming, and then the son is forgiving. But then there may be scenes where the dad loses it because he still has the flesh taking over sometimes trying to want the temptation of the flesh to be mad, to be angry, to take control is still there. I don't know. That would have been really interesting. It Mm. would have added more to the rising action. It would have made the transition of him dying into like saying, dad, can you sing for me when I'm dying kind of thing? I don't know. It would have just been like it would have been the exercise of what faith and forgiveness is, which is a race. It is the perseverance race that we're all called to run. That would have been cool. But because it's imitating a movie, and then it's also imitating the feel-goodery feel of – um the christian movie canon it's like the second he writes i forgive my dad and then the next 15 minutes are constant music constant editing and then he dies <laughs> like it's you don't actually see any process going on like there's even a scene of like him writing in his book i finally have the dad i want and he's dying how's that fair wow, I'd love to see that exercised in the movie. Ah, never mind. I mean, you might as well have just pulled the room where it's like, I definitely have breast cancer and then never bring it up again. Because that's a really interesting plot development in an internal exercise. And then it's not done. Then we just go back to Bart Millard being a musician again. And it's like A Beautiful Mind where even in A Beautiful Mind, the last sequence is I'm getting an award and just get a speech that describes the movie. I don't know. It's I. I wanted a bit more, and it's fine what I got. And not all biopics about musicians can be Rocket Man, but even that movie is more of a musical. But like, I don't know. I just wanted to be more in the mire, and we weren't in the mire that long because it was too scared to make you feel bad. It felt like,
1: mm. yeah. Honestly, like I. To me, the, like, I honestly thought the movie was pretty good for what it was. Like, there's a there's a point with a lot of films where you just accept what they are. Like, right. this movie yes. is not trying to be anything particularly ambitious. It has its story. But like I said, like, it does feel kind of like, I don't know if you, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how big a Weird Al fan you are. I've dabbled in a couple <laughs> uh white nerdies before. Uh, but when Weird Al, they did a behind the music on Weird Al. The problem with Weird Al is, first off, I don't know if this is well known, but i Pretty sure he's a Christian. Like, I know that he attends church regularly, and I've heard accounts of people who say they've gone to church with Weird Al, and say he's a really nice guy. And it also probably lends screens to why, even though he does like comedy parody songs, they're never particularly vulgar or anything like that. So he's maintained a pretty clean, family friendly image for most of his career. He is he is uncancelable you could you could never cancel never n- under no circumstances super straight edge you know you could try and be like oh he's appropriate culture you know whatever it's it's parody that's parody is literally just that so i don't know what yeah. you want from the guy but when they did it behind the music on him there's no drugs there's no infidelity there's no wild partying like, they were literally trying to find things to make more dramatic in a story so to compensate for that they like tried to like play up things like the coolio lawsuit the fact that uhf wasn't a huge fi- financial hit they tried to like make those things much more dramatic and downer a bigger downer for him than they really were because they're trying to find things for that and that's kind of what a lot of this movie felt like where they're trying to make the whole like his band won't make it like a bigger thing even though we don't know the bandmates at all as characters they're yeah, just they're in the movie. white bros. It's very yeah. weird and Like, they tried to, like, find all this drama, which is, like, as you're highlighting, is weird because there's plenty of drama here.
0: The primary drama is there, and we never really
1: do it. Yeah, you could have a whole movie. There are movies that are just about someone going back home and reconciling with family. Probably a cheaper budget. Whole two-hour films, you know? Yeah, and you probably wouldn't have to, like, get locations for all these, like, scenes of them playing music and stuff. And I I think that, like, they maybe were worried because – the music thing is the marketable point. Like people are going to see this movie because they like the song or because they're mercy me fans or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so not focusing on that stuff might potentially alienate kind of part of your audience. I assume where people who want to see like the band, they they want to see like a Bohemian Rhapsody rocket man. <laughs> Someone said this is final tap, but you know, what are those types of movies? <laughs> the dirt, the dirt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! What a
1: disaster.
0: That'd be horrible. Yeah. Neil Strauss, bad author.
1: Um, we cannot say any of the same thing about Bart Millard. He and again, this it works against the movie in some ways where he's such a nice guy that there just isn't much to dig into as far as drama. Like his yeah. his beef with his dad makes so much sense. It's so understandable. But there's so much about him as a person where like he loves his dad. He he's a Christian, you know, he, he believes in redemption and grace. And so they don't I don't know if they just didn't want to draw it out or it wouldn't have been accurate to the story, because there's also a thing here where Almost all of the beats of everything leading up to the writing of I Can Only Imagine is just what happened. And so there's a sense where they they didn't, I don't know if they were just uncomfortable drawing anything out or dressing it up, trying to make it more dramatic. The only thing they added was they made his dad an alcoholic in the movie, which isn't what happened in real life. in real life. He was just very angry. Did they imply he was an alcoholic because he wasn't really drinking
0: in the movie? It, they i don't even think they show a single drop of alcohol in the movie i think it's
1: implied early on
0: i know where, he's slurring
1: yeah like he's
0: slurring and he basically sounds out of it but that also i didn't i couldn't separate whether that was southern twang where it's just like i'm sorry sir i don't know what you're saying well no and one else talks like that the
1: whole movie <laughs> So true but yeah so yeah i do not i don't i don't know if they just were uncomfortable with with drama like adding more drama to a true story than than they wanted or something. But yeah, there's a whole because there's a whole story here that isn't being told, which is kind of a shame. But at the same time, like it's it's when it is on screen, it's the strongest stuff in the movie by a huge margin. Where yes. I think that's partially why this movie is often seen as so much better than other Christian films, because the core of the story is the father-son relationship. There is this element of religion, and ultimately that's what redeems the characters, where is his father finding, finding, oh, is 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 you know, his father becoming saved and Bart's, you know, his relationship with God helping him to forgive his dad. So like those elements are there to make the Ridd's office happy, happy. It is what happened. That's it, that's the true story. And so it is def- definitely a religious film, but at its core, it's a story about a father and son reconciling, which I think is what carries the movie to the heights that it does as far as its view among Christians. And in fact, it has like an overall good reviews. Like it, it's like, I think it's at, like 67, 68% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is unusual for a Christian film. It's generally regarded as pretty good yeah and which and also it it shows when you get anything else in the movie is kind of just dead air like all the stuff with the band trying to make it there's a good scene where like it's a little overdone where when people are giving his band bad reviews he remembers his dad telling him he ain't gonna be nothing you know
0: yeah i thought that was pretty decent that's but that's just the trope in movies that i like is when you have because that's how memories work is in the midst of something that takes you back it's almost like you're re-experiencing you are re experiencing a lie or traumatic or events or something like that. So I thought that was cool. But again, it was like, it was like a scene.
1: It was like a series of
0: scenes (laughs) that didn't really connect to each other.
1: Yeah. It's the flow between the stuff is dad and the stuff with the band isn't good. And there's a multiple moments where I wondered if not to be snobby, but I was like, there's, there's a more artful way to do this. Where like the scene with the, with the record executives telling him his band's no good and they're not going to make it like it just cuts back to previous scenes in the movie. And I feel like there might have been, like... Maybe they could have just had... I don't know if Dennis Quaid just didn't have that many dates <laughs> available or something. But yeah. like, I would have liked it if, like, they just added him to the crowd there. Where in between that, you just saw him, like, standing behind the executives making comments.
0: You mean, like, at the end? When he's singing? And <laughs> yeah. And he pulls like, a Shia LaBeouf and he's the only guy in the audience that yeah, stands up. And- <laughs> that that too. Those are the two
1: moments where I was like, there's some <laughs> more artful way to do this. Like, yeah. like again, I would have liked it if the crowd was cheering and he looks up and it just sees his dad... In the crowd, and
0: everybody's face is Dennis Quaid. Yeah,
1: well, not that, but different Dennis Quaid's <laughs> from all the movies he's <laughs> the in. Yeah, face It's
0: just the everybody. crowd from
1: Space Jam and New Legacy, but like it's all Quaid's.
0: Runs up to hug
1: his girlfriend, and it's just Dennis
0: Quaid's face. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, glad you didn't let her go, son. You know, whatever. That'd be great. I, I have one big issue with the movie, outside of like minor quibbles. But I, oh, I'm curious. I, I don't know if you have. A...
0: Well, I just, I um, I just. I this this discussion makes me think of like well why why did I enjoy Rocket Man more than Bohemian Rhapsody and it's because uh, Rocket Man is about memories are more experienced through concepts than are conceptually than they are through history and what makes Rocket Man a really interesting movie which I'm not necessarily recommending everyone go watch right now but but Rocket Man tells a story about an experience. That Elton, the the experience of being basically Elton John with the flamboyance of Elton John, and it captures a lot of his life to the point that even Elton John, when he watched it premiere at Cannes, was just like sobbing the entire movie because he's like, it's so accurate. Even though it's like everyone's dancing in the middle of the street um, and songs are being put in different parts of the timeline, but the whole point is it's about like learning to love oneself and. Then you have something like Bohemian Rhapsody, which is apart from the fact that it's a horribly edited, sickening movie, and not because of the the movie itself, but because there are literal scenes that make me sick when I watch them because they're edited so poorly. um, That dinner scene is rough. But um, that one tries to capture historical events, but does it so poorly that it's actually kind of boring to watch. And I think like this movie, I can only imagine if it just wanted to capture the experience of reconciling a relationship with an abusive father, I think there it could have been more impactful than if it just wanted to capture like events in a man's life, if that makes any sense. Because by getting into a lot of the band stuff and having it be basically this B or C plot, it yeah like you said it draws away from the primary drama the primary plot line when if it all just fed into the drama of the family like what if we're we're talking what if the whole movie is him reconciling with his dad and then we're doing cutaways to when he was in the band and how stuff with his dad affected him and he's like because of how you treated me and set my life up i never felt secure in getting criticism and there is this time when a bunch of when we played a concert and a bunch of executives said we weren't good. And this is how I reacted because all I could think of was your face saying, you know, dreams don't matter and you'll never get them kind of thing. It just, yeah, it just, I wish, I wish the movie was less about the band. And even at the end, when the credits, they do the crazy credits where it's like telling you about their real life. More of it's just, more of it's just about the band than him and his dad. And more of it's about the song. I can only imagine than him and his dad. And I would have, enjoyed more of it talking about him and his dad. I don't know. I just yeah, but I don't want to keep rehearsing the same yeah.
1: thing over and over. The power of the story is, I mean, the God's redemptive work in their lives and the context right. it gives. I can only imagine, you know, so because everyone, everyone and their mothers heard this song at a funeral. Right. And so it's a powerful song that they already like. So the the punch comes from the fact that like, wow, I had no idea that this whole time he was singing about his father. And how he's so happy that his dad is now in God's presence and that one day he'll get to see his father again in heaven. And, you know, it gives this song this context. And so that's an easy layup. And so in that regard, the movie doesn't ruin that or miss that mark because that is intrinsic to the story. But it would have hit so much harder if we had spent more time with his dad, both as an abuser and as a reconciler. Yeah. So, like, cut. Cut 40 minutes from this movie. Cut almost his entire story with his girlfriend. Or
0: you know, yeah, and how that does that stuff. feed like if it fed <laughs> his his perhaps lack of trust of intimacy and care, then maybe that would have been interesting, but it's not like there's any drama with that. I mean the say- the way it starts is exactly how it ends. we're gonna get married, and we have a destiny together, and Then there's not much destiny, but you did get married. (laughs) Yeah, it feels like
1: it feels because it starts strong. Like the relationship with him and his girlfriend is totally fine. I liked it. It's the them as kids is cute. The fact that it was
0: strong, but I guess, yeah, well, it's like, I get what you're saying.
1: Yeah, he him and his girlfriend break up because because of the issues of his dad. So it all ties together. We can see how his abusive father is not just affecting him personally, but it's affecting all his relationships. And that's good stuff. And later in the movie, you know, maybe his girlfriend could have showed up and help helped him with his relationship with his dad or helped him take care of his father who's sick or something, which I don't know if it's, that happened or not. So they didn't do that. But then it just becomes a periodic thing we're reminded of. Like he just will occasionally call his girlfriend. Be like, guess what? Don't forget, girls exist. Don't forget. private a band, is <laughs> like what happens. And then she just shows up at the end of the movie and they hug, which I also have a problem with, which we'll get into in a second, but I keep keep it yeah, keep lampshading that that's interesting. just get into it but it's just like why was this in the movie like it doesn't yeah. go anywhere yeah so cut all that. that is either either don't have either do it well or don't have it at all cut all of that give all that time to more stuff which i don't know if they just couldn't afford dennis quaid for more scenes or something but that's the stuff in the movie that works that's the stuff in the movie that's strong that's the stuff in the movie that also ties into what you're trying to do which is make me get sadder about i can only imagine so
0: yeah Feeling sad is great. <laughs> like when it's fictional, when it's real life, it sucks. But like feeling sad in a fictional set- setting is part of the experience of watching a movie. So let me feel sad. Let me feel dread. Let me feel fear. Because then when you get to the redemption of the father, first off, it transitions that sadness and anger that we have towards the father onto Bart Millard. It's still rational that bart millard's like god can forgive you but i can't like i get it dude i'm with you (laughs) like that's fair but it also still like that that experience of transitioning our frustrations of like bart like he's he's doing it he's doing what you've always wanted he's learning to get better like that's what makes movies and fiction fun because then it's also what we do in real life it's also how we experience life and that's what's fun but then the movie just doesn't want us to linger on it because it's like hey amy grant remember her she's real (laughs) like that's a that's a person on this earth but it didn't it didn't hit me because i didn't know who that was (laughs) but like anyways it's it is it's frustrating but i guess yeah if you want to put it in the if you want to put it on the christian movie curve i guess this is up there but it's like i don't know it's just it's it is a movie that exists But you you're you're frustrated about a
1: hug. What is this?
0: What is is the hug not canon to the real world?
1: So, despite what we're saying, I do think one of the strengths of the film is that it's just this is what happened. You know, they didn't add anything for drama, for better or for worse, and it gives the film the sort of genuineness that I think is charming. Like the lack of incident is also kind of what I weirdly like about it because, and I'm sure the core audience will too, because they're not looking for. A difficult watch they're, they're looking for yeah you know, it's not that challenge it's a feel good and it's partially why i don't i'm not a huge fan of inspirational stories in general it's because i don't know i just the whole inspirational film genre doesn't do much for me unless it's like this insane true story that you just have to see to believe like as much as it was oscar bait i like the movie lion because that's just a bizarre over-the-top story that really happened and it's beautiful to see it unfold before your eyes So I can only imagine, you know, it's not as adventurous or interesting as a movie like that, but there is a charm to just the simple story where a guy and his dad get together and he writes a song where the movie finally diverts from reality is in the lead up to the first performance that I can only imagine. Now, in real life, they did, in fact, intend to sell the song to Amy Grant. And for those who do not know, this is a pretty common thing that happens or musicians and artists will write songs. And for whatever reason, they may not decide to perform it themselves. So they'll sell, sell it off to different artists and musicians. Um, you know, I Will Always Love You is most famous, not by this writer Dolly Parton, for example, you know? So what in real life, first off, I can see why they left this part out, which is initially the hesitation wasn't because they thought the song was so beautiful. It's because Amy Grant at the time was going through a not well-received divorce. And so, which in, you know, most music, most music industry stuff, divorce is not a huge issue. You know, musicians go through partners like crazy. But Amy Grant was divorcing her husband at the time, and this was seen as potentially not good uh, for both her career and anyone associated with her because the Christian community, for those who don't know, scandals like this hit a lot harder for various reasons. Uh, in the end, though, Bart decided after thinking about it, that he would, in fact, sell the song to Amy Grant, despite the fact she was getting divorced at the time. And so, but then Amy Grant decided not to do the song herself for whatever reason and so they eventually met up before a show and immigrant decided to give the song back to him and then they did in fact perform it together this is not what how it plays in the movie and i was watching the movie and as this scene was unfolding it was the first time i was like this can't be real this is too cheesy too corny too saccharine." And it's just silly, like especially compared to the rest of the movie, which is really grounded for what it is. It's a very realistic no frills movie. And suddenly there's this big sappy inspirational movie moment that is just silly. It's I'm sorry. The whole scene is just silly where she's tries to sing. I can only imagine she can't finish it. And Bart's in the audience. So she calls up on stage. He starts to sing the song. And then the record producer, this whole movies down them is also in the audience. And his girlfriend, who's strange is also in the audience. Everyone's there. They're all hugging at the end. And it's just silly. And it's not what happens. It's not at all what happens. It's totally phony and fake. It feels phony and fake watching the movie. And it's the ones part of the movie that I'm like, I just don't like it. Like, it's just not, it's not what happened. And it's frustrating because it's the once because it feels like they didn't know how to end the movie. Because the movie had so little incident. Like, a logical end point would have been to end it after his father dies and they write the song. And right. then you just cut to them performing it at the at the White House, even, you know, that would have been a fine ending, but they needed a dramatic ending. I was even thinking that the
0: through line. First off, I thought he was being interviewed on a radio show. Yes, not being, I thought yeah. the same thing. So I was like, that's how you end As you end with like. And, He's now on this radio song, show, all and now hear, the song you all want to hear, and then it's like, and then you can do the thing that I guess is in—is it—is this first off—is this a recurrent thing? In, now this is about a musician and about a band, but like, is it a recurrent thing for Christian movies to just end with a concert? Because I know God's Not Dead does that with the first <laughs> movie, <laughs> <but, laughs> which is weird as, as
1: Kevin Sorbo dies on the yeah, street. Uh, one good. of the funniest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> <It's> so funny. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to watch oh, it. Maybe we should do so a commentary good.
0: track would be great but um but is that like a thing because like that's what this feels like because you could still technically do that if you did it was a radio show the end of the movie is he dies and then on the radio they play the song or it's just it's one of those like sp- you know those like spotify sessions where it's like hey we have you come in on the radio and just play yeah, a yeah, tracks yeah live it's like yeah, here like he, like he is playing live it live or, on the radio yeah. and then you have a scene where it's like they're you can see where the where the song's playing and who's tuned in it's jumps around Ooh, it should have been a tiny desk concert like i don't know like you've been cool do that but then like is yeah so is this like a thing is this in other christian movies
1: <laughs> yeah we'll see if like heaven is for real ends with the <laughs> concert or oh god i hate that movie but um, i've never even seen it I, I don't know that's a good point i didn't even realize that isn't that the one where the girl actually said just kidding i was lying yeah she admitted she made it up made it up yeah Oops. christians love that stuff so lying oh I, I, i'm not of all well, heaven <laughs> but <laughs> christians do be like lying <laughs> yeah it's a it's such a phony fake way to end the movie and it doesn't gel with the rest of the tone of the movie either what's the tone of the movie though i didn't really it has this, such a grounded not overdone like it's such a mild movie that it was for me, it was weird for it to suddenly try and racket it up to 11 to have this big inspirational moment. Like it doesn't fit the rest, the rest of the movie, even though the soundtrack won't <laughs> shut up, they it's strangely quiet. Like it's, they could have made him launch into space on a rocket <laughs> and then explode
0: like in Rocket Man.
1: <laughs> they could have.
0: They should have. <laughs> uh, I don't know if O'Guru I can have. only imagine. And he just. <laughs> phew, he I'm coming, space. dad.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> rides a rocket
1: uh what a good movie because it's it, it, it opens up this whole thing of like if we're gonna make up that stuff why not make up more stuff the rest of the movie i don't know like it's, yeah it's a weird like burning the candle both ends in a bad way kind of situation where they make up this whole fake final concert where he finally pre- or an emotional moment amy grant cannot sing the song because it's so beautiful not her song it's not her story to tell and she brings up bart onto the stage and it's just it felt fake watching it and I was very validated later reading that that's not what happened, mm-hmm. you know, so like, yeah, I, 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 again, a more artful way would if like if what if early in the movie when it was like, you know, sing for me, it just cuts away and then later it cuts to them singing. I can only imagine and then, you know, you just interlope those scenes together. And so it's like where it feels like to him, he's singing the song for his dad. You know, it's the song he wished he could have sang for his father, you know, or something as opposed to just a room where everyone gives him a standing ovation because they heard I Can Only Imagine, which I doubt that happened because I don't know if you've ever been to a concert. But when an artist plays a song you've never heard before, everyone does not like it. It's kind of the worst. They yeah, don't if like you it. Go to a <laughs> Yeah
0: concerts are so the audience can participate with the band so you can sing along with it i even went to um there's an artist called there's a group called chan and they're oh yeah rock. i've
1: seen Sean. They're super great. good yeah
0: i saw that was a good good um i saw it on their um super chan bros tour or whatever and like there was a song or who two they, play, who they play played with? they i had trico Okay. Which is a Japanese band. So that was dope. But then I bought a shirt and the guy convinced me that they sized too large. So I got a medium and it turns out it didn't fit. So now I can never, I'll <laughs> probably never see this band again because they were touring in these states for one time. Uh, it was Trico, another Mathrack band, and TTNG, and then Chan. It was like a four hour concert and Chan came uh, out last. I was exhausted. <laughs> yeah, I saw them with uh, Tooth Grinder
1: and Periphery. Nice. Uh, yeah.
0: Even in. Th- a band that has no lyrics except for like three of their tracks (laughs) people are participating by making guitar noises with their mouth that's what they did at the show you went to (laughs) that's what they did at the show I went to yeah people were just like (laughs) making (laughs) guitar noises with their mouth you
1: went with a bunch of weirdos dude my show (laughs) they just like moshed
0: (laughs) yeah we moshed we went crazy but it was like they are also just making guitar noises with their mouth (laughs) and then of course they played can't wait (laughs) which you knew they were going to do because they had a microphone out and you're like like they, why would they have a microphone? No, it's of, not
1: a lot of songs they need these for. So. And they didn't
0: play it until their encore. So you knew there was going to be an encore. <laughs> they had an encore set list. It's so funny, but um, that's what a concert is. So yeah, you can't imagine like, hey, here's a new song <laughs> like you've never heard before. <laughs> and I, yeah. you know, when I went, I, I don't know if it was a Michael W. Smith concert maybe it was if my mom's listening to this episode she'll tell me but like it was at a concert venue like the one in the movie and so everyone's just sitting anyway so it's like it's not really a concert it's more like i actually want to know if that's a ccm thing are they just um, treated like going to, to a play where you just sit there and listen?
1: So, some bizarrely, so I, I've seen um, a couple different Christian I, Like I saw Caveman's Call, I saw Third Day, I saw Jars of Clay. You just sit there. And yeah, a lot of those shows, because the venues they play, some of them they play a lot of venues are just churches. So the seats are there. Yeah, it's weird. Like when I saw Caveman's Call, it was people who were sitting. When I saw. You just fall asleep. You just yeah, look at s- your
0: phone. You don't even get to participate in the music. Is this cuz it's like a post-baptist thing where it's like dancing is evil, don't do it?
1: I don't know because it's 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 only these artists though. Like I saw Newsboys and they didn't do that. It was just in a concert venue, so. You have
0: to skip the part in uh, Second Kings when David dances cuz it's in don't do that <laughs> and he's and he's naked <laughs> but yeah <laughs> well the text implies that yeah. he's at least losing his garb his kingly garb
1: so he's just in in like a loincloth that's a good question actually i don't know if it's for theological reasons because i was actually just talking to, to some uh leaders in my church recently because we're, we're swapping stories and uh, one of the people there went to wheaton and a lot of his friends went to moody and moody bible college at the time you weren't allowed to dance so people at their daughter's weddings didn't dance they didn't do the father-daughter dance or anything because of moody's roles which is admirable they stuck to their convictions but i don't know how i feel about that and then i went to pentecostal bible college which also dancing is still technically not allowed i don't believe it is so I don't, that's a good question i don't know if it's because of different convictions as far as dancing goes but yeah a ton of the conserve like conserve the christian uh, contemporary Christian music concerts I went to didn't have dancing. And it's funny. Cause I also went to um, a couple different Christian music festivals that also booked like metal and rock acts. So you go to a show and there'd be like project 86 and <laughs> Dope, you know, under oath and as dying and all these groups, but then they weren't sure if they wanted to allow moshing. So at one point they had a section called a what the push pit where you could <laughs> push each other. You could not mosh. And then later years they tried to make it where like you couldn't lift your arms so you could just kind of bump into each what? other and then if this every year they progressively had more restrict because they for them it was just a violence thing they weren't sure if they wanted to allow that but then you have artists like red and um like you know artists that like i saw he is legend he's not even like a christian band i don't know how they got on the bill uh but they were like yeah guys go crazy you know and all this stuff and the and the security guards like please stop trying to get them to go crazy they cannot go crazy um it was just it's weird i don't know it's part of the energy I don't know. But then like yeah, when I saw Switchfoot at the same show, like john Foreman was like climbing up on the ba- rafters and stuff like that. So, I don't know what like and he was like running through the crowd and stuff. So, I don't know if he just didn't get the me- memo or whatever, but yeah, I don't like Christ- Christian music culture is so fascinating to me because music inherently causes all these things like self-expression, movement, and people foot going tapping. Is foot tapping. It, it's foot yeah. tapping. It's tapping your fingers, you know. Dancing and is wonderful. It's yeah, there's nothing wrong with dancing in my opinion. I I'm it's I don't not know. sin. I please yeah. send in your send in your thoughts and dancing if you disagree. But yeah. And it, be I, nice. I can't imagine Moshing in an Amy Grant show as awesome as that would be. You know? <laughs> but yeah, the whole scene is just it just does not land for me, especially for the rest of the movie, which is so grounded in reality. Almost everything you see in the film, the only yeah, the only things that are not accurate is um, his father did not drink, and the time when he wrote, I can only imagine, is a little later than that. So from that point yeah. on, it's just fake inspirational movie hogwash. I don't, I, don't, it, it. I did not like it at one bit, Melvin. I did not. So,
0: yeah, I think what's I, I just, I just want something authentic and genuine. And a lot of the reason I don't watch uh, Christian movies is they never feel authentic or genuine. They feel like they just don't feel like they're living in the real world uh, a lot. And this one kind of played around in that area uh, every now and then where it was like, not the real world. And then, but also like, but it's subject matter. Uh, (laughs) I don't even know if I can say it's subject matter because it only spends like 20 minutes out of, out of an hour and 50 minutes on the dad and son stuff. But that's why people are watching it because they're like, I like this movie because it's the only christian movie where 20 minutes feel like real and then the rest don't but like the the subject matter <laughs> with an asterisk next to it is there's no way you can't be real with that and i th- and and i just wanted like more of that i don't know i just want i just want something real what's funny is like movies that are fantastical can still feel real because of the way they portray the fantastical. But then like this movie, yeah, even though it's the probably the most like textbook in terms of this is what happened, here is a script. Watch watch these actors perform actual events, it just doesn't feel genuine a lot. And I just I just I want something real. I wanna I want something real. That's what I want, and that's probably why a lot of Christian fan, Christians who like movies like Terrence Malick is because a lot of his stuff, even though he gets fantastical and weird, his stuff feels like real people and real stories and stuff. So I don't know, it's it's, it's a fine movie. I can only imagine Daniel's getting that tattooed on his forehead, as you guys <laughs> know. But it's it's just it is what it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's weird because like the scale of genre, like I'm saying, like inspirational movies tell touching true stories this is kind of up there just because it's a good story and it's very real like up until the the climax of the film it is it right. is 100 true and obviously you know it gets brownie points with me for the core of the story being very christian and the message of the movie being something i really appreciate and think is valid because like you don't get a ton of Christian films where it's not just a, about you know someone overcoming an obstacle through power of God. He reconciles with his legitimately abusive father, and that's a right. b- beautiful story. That's a big deal, and that's a yeah. beautiful message. So on the scale of inspirational films, this film's pretty good. Like you know, it, this is I'm sure like when I worked at a Christian book, it, we sold a lot of copies of this film, and like it's 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 in my church's library. It's just it's a, you know and it's so much better than so much of the other direct that we sold as far as just general hallmarky type movies. So there's, there's a little more here than a lot of other films, not just Christian films again, like just the general kind of inoffensive light entertainment genre where there's some struggle, but it's overcome through the power of love or whatever. This film has more going on there than, mm-hmm. than those types of films. Mm-hmm. And it's, in terms of things wrong with the movie, there's not a lot wrong with it. Like, there's not a lot of things yeah. that are bad in it, and so yeah. it's solidly put together. the 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 the, the brother uh, directing duo that made the movie clearly have chops. Like, they clearly mm-hmm. there's some really nice looking shots in the movie. There's some great uh, sequences in it throughout. I think, yeah, it's just like refining it. Sets look lived in. The sets are like the sets look. It looks like everything was shot more or less on location. Yeah, and maybe we're just so used to like big CGI movies now that anything that looks like it's shot on an actual farm just (laughs) looks amazing now. I don't know. Yeah, but there's yeah, there's from a technical standpoint, there's nothing really wrong with the movie. All the acting is good. The guy who plays the main character, we haven't really talked about much. He is not a seasoned actor. He is a theater actor. Who did all of his own singing in the film, which I always appreciate. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And he sounds like a that. lot like the Mercy Me guy. <laughs> so there's that. Same with the woman who plays his uh, girlfriend throughout the film. She's not a well known actor. I think she's also a theater actor. So he's good in it. Like he's never, he doesn't have to do anything big. Dennis Quaid gets to chew all scenery and be big, but he just seems like a, he really comes off as a normal, likable guy. And that's not always easy to do. So he just seems like, he seems like the guy he's playing, which is really nice. So, I give this one a stronger recommendation than it feels like you were, you were giving. It's, you know, you're going to forget about this movie <laughs> shortly after seeing it. Just, just like a beautiful mind. It's I <laughs> like a beautiful mind. I don't understand why you suddenly decided this is the episode gonna hate a beautiful mind. It's, it's babies first. Gotcha. I, it, I, yeah, I give this one a light recommendation as if you're looking for a movie night with your grandparents, your uncles, and your cousins who none of them can watch movies with their uh, rated R and, you know, if it's that kind of movie night, or your church is having a movie night, and you're you're out of Pixar movies to show. You can show. I can only imagine it's much better than The Chosen. So many other Christian films I've seen. So, <laughs> it's like, probably even, safer like, than The
0: Chosen. Well, like yeah, The <laughs> Chosen.
1: We had issues because of theological things, but purely content wise, like I can only imagine. First off, it's it's a decent movie time. It's an hour and fifty with credits. It's like an hour and forty, hour forty five. It's not like two and a half hours like so many movies these days. Every day I sound older on the show.
0: It's not exhausting like American Gospel. That's an exhausting movie. Yeah. And that's just the first movie.
1: And it's 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 not it's not trying to sell you anything. Like that's what really I think why I did so well with critics is there isn't like a multi every time the gospel's brought up, it feels genuine. It's it part of the story. Sense. Yeah, in the context of the story. Yeah, or he's like right. he's introducing his gospel message portion of his concert. Like that's one of the best music scenes where you see that like initially they were trying to be a more general rock band, but the part that sounds real and genuine to him is when he's talking about God and when they're doing worship music. And that's why they go in the musical direction. They go to that to me is so great because there's so many Christian bands where it feels like they just felt like they had to do something Jesusy when they're set, you know, or because they're a Christian band, they had to play certain type of music here. They establish, this is just who they are. And so right. the art they make naturally is this, that to me is good. And so like compared to some of the Christian films where like God's not dead, where it feels like the movie is just a propaganda film for Jesus. This is a real story about a real guy and God and the gospel and church and worship music. Those are all things that are just Exist. in the DNA of his story. So they right. have to be there. And that's to me so much more powerful, like the most powerful story what you can give people is your testimony it is how god has changed your life and those are the types of stories i wish more christian films would tell And i think these guys get it because there's been a pivot in their films where now they're mostly making movies like this as opposed to like mom's night out or whatever you know more movies subject-wise like this versus something like gosh like i don't know but it's like, do you believe or or whatever, you know, all these like weird movies that are like trying to be polemics in the form of a movie, you know? So what kind of recommendations you got, Dan? There's two different, there's two, two major, if you want to get into major theological camps, uh, the different, the people's views of Acts. Uh, some view the gifts of the spirit as for today. Others view them as not for today. And to give sort of a good balance of those, I recommend John MacArthur's two volume commentary on Acts. John MacArthur does not believe the gifts are for today. And that is fully illustrated as commentary on Acts. However, on the flip side, Stanley Horton is a well-regarded theologian among uh, more Pentecostal charismatic circles. He he also wrote a systematic theology that's really interesting. But he also has a commentary in the Book of Acts where he takes the position that the gifts are for today. And I think those two commentaries together give sort of a good overview of both sides of the of the argument. And they together, I think, form a good view where you can kind of like figure out what you believe for yourself. There's a ton of great Acts commentaries out there. You know, RC Sproul's commentary on Acts is very good. I like John Stott's commentary on Acts, but I think those two are two of my favorites. Those are the ones I grab off my shelf the most when reading in Acts or doing any sort of teaching in Acts? So I recommend those for my commentary.
0: For me, I'm going to recommend a game that I believe is still on Game Pass. If anyone has the $15 a month uh, Xbox, basically Netflix for game service, it's a game called Donut County. It's basically the the premise of the gameplay is you view basically a it's a very cartoony kind of boxy looking world and you're a, a hole and all you do is move under things and eat them. And as you do that, your hole gets bigger and there's puzzles to it. It's But it's mostly just cute and fun. But the, the running story basically opens up with a, a series of characters who have a campfire deep underground and are like, this is all your fault, Mr. Raccoon. Why are we all stuck here? And then the raccoon, it's because there's a bunch of uh, animals. It's really cute. Um, the raccoon basically talks about how, like, what do you mean it's not my fault? And then the friends, like, yes, it is. Because ever since you guys moved in, there have been holes showing up in our community and county as the story unravels and as you the whole eat more and more things that exist such as people's homes trailers and cute little animals the story unfolds to be basically a very cute little commentary on sort of how not anti-capitalist as everyone knows that i enjoy talking about but it um it kind of gets into basically these raccoons moved into the town and started buying up properties and filling out companies and um, gentrifying the area and the example given throughout the gameplay and metaphor is that it's like this hole that eats everything up. So you find out all the other friends, the animal friends in, the, in this pit are basically people who owned properties that have been just decimated by this uh these raccoons these trash pandas and the reason they do that is because the trash pandas were tired of eating trash so they decided to become monopolists um it's a very fun cute game very quick on game pass totally free donut county check it out
1: what's your fun reco dan um i'm going to recommend uh read this the book the starless sea it's great
0: i think i've seen people read that on my goodreads what's it about
1: i'm not gonna tell
0: you okay is it literally like best to go in blind that kind of thing
1: yes who's the author um morgan stern what's her last name she wrote uh the night circus which is also a well-regarded book and i'm seeing on goodreads too yes
0: what what's her shtick what does she like to write about just to give people something the nature of stories
1: and storytelling, so very. Are her books very metatextual Then this one is. I have not read The Night Circus. Uh, my wife really loves The Night Circus. Morgan Stern. The one. The one caution I'll give is some people find her writing to be too not tangential, but it's very like she has a very meandering style and purpose that for me really really pays off, especially in The Starless Sea, which my friend, uh, who is both a book person and a very devout Catholic, described. She said reading this book was, like for her, like almost like a religious experience. Uh, so for, for some types of people, A Starless Sea is going to pay off immensely. It's For me, it's the exact type of book I like. I, I thought it was beautiful, and I thought it was thoughtful, and it's interesting. And yeah, I highly recommend it. Nice.
0: Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash Doctrine. A special shout-out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlian, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Doctrine. link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk, so get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.